According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, where we are in the passage from verse 22 down through verse 72. I say that tongue-in-cheek. There's only 71 verses, uh, but chapter 7 and verse 1 Uh, I think belongs in chapter 6 and so we'll just go ahead and call that chapter 6 verse 72 and then we'll uh, we'll be fine from there all right b3 do me a favor would you and hit that light switch thank you and Bob said let there be light and there was light All right, John chapter 6, we're dealing with a great I am, the bread of life message. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Before we begin our study this morning, let's take time for silent prayer to make sure we are filled with the Spirit. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing that we have this morning to assemble together. I thank you for the prayer time the ladies were blessed to participate in. And, Father, I thank you for the Bible study now that it is our blessing to to reap the word, Father, to receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. Father, we ask for distractions to be set aside. We ask for concentration. Father, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. We also thank you for the donation of these books, Father, this library that was donated. I thank you for a believer that viewed a an opportunity to contribute towards our new seminary. And, and Father, I thank you and rejoice over the opportunity that we have to receive this material. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Received a phone call a couple of weeks ago from a man I know who's a deacon in uh, Everett. And uh, he mentioned in a state sale that uh, he'd come across a pastor who had been promoted to glory, who no longer needs his uh, his library, and uh, he didn't know. He'd looked through it. He'd seen some authors that he knew of, a lot of authors he didn't know of, but the ones that he knew of, he knew were good ones. He knew that they were old school Dallas or they're old school Baptist or old school dispensational, solid conservative guys. And so, just based on that description, on the handful of names, uh, there was even uh, one RB theme in there on uh, you know, Christian integrity. So uh, anyway, just based on the ones he knew about, he said, I think this is probably a pretty good collection. And uh, he had heard me speak in February on the uh, the desire to train men and start a training ministry and establish a seminary and so forth. Anyway, he uh, he was real convicted that if we're going to start this school and if Radley is going to come down here and be a part of this, that uh, we can obviously use such books for our library. So he bought the whole thing, just paid cash, bought the whole thing, the entire lot, shipped it down here, and it's now our our grace provision over here in the in the side room. So in any event, we can praise the Lord for that and rejoice over grace. You cannot beat grace. And I uh, am delighted for that. All right, John chapter 6. I'll bring up our uh, text on the screen. John chapter 6. We have covered to this point uh, points 1, 2, and 3. And we're going to wrap it up today with main point 4. Main point 4, we actually have the meat of the study where we break down the different stages of the message 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And uh, we break down the I am bread of life message into particular stages. I'm going to list them for you in the outline under subpoints A through H, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. All right. And how many did we cover? A, just A. All right. So we didn't get too far last week. We've got to get through it this week because I'm leaving town and you got a two week break where uh, we won't have another class until the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, June 6th. Lord willing and rapture pending will be our next time together in this in this study, but he breaks it down into particular stages, and you can kind of just visually you can see it if you have the benefit of a red letter Bible um, that you can see where you have the red letter, and then you have the break where you got some reaction, and then you have more red letter, another reaction, more red letter, another reaction, and uh, each time there's a break between the discourses between the stages where Christ is teaching, uh, there's conflict, there's rejection, there's anger. And it grows with each passing break. And so we're going to outline that for you in, uh, in these subpoints. All right, so let me just zip on ahead then through the points we've already covered, which should be pretty straightforward. <clears throat> the crowd that ate the loaves and was filled, remember, that's what we're calling the C-A-L-F. So you're familiar with our abbreviation. That's the crowd that ate of the loaves and was filled, the C-A-L-F. Basically, a bunch of chasers, a bunch of uh, attention getters, those that are just chasing over the latest thing. And, and they chased after the Baptist while he was uh, thriving, while his ministry was growing. And then they abandoned him to chase after Christ. They're going to abandon Christ at this point of time. Uh, in fact, this becomes the hinge event that chases a lot of them away. And, uh, and more and more will be fading away here shortly. We'll get past the subpoints and the maps. Secondly, this, the crowd that ate of the loaves and was filled didn't need any more physical food. What they needed was salvation. And the, the issue for the rest of this chapter is faith in Christ for salvation. He says in verse 27, work not for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Be working for that food. And how do you do those works? Believe. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And the rest of this chapter is centered on faith in Christ for salvation. The message of the bread of life is the message of salvation. Again, some points on that. The third point, the crowd that ate the loaves and was filled made a startling admission when they asked for a sign. They said, give us a sign so that we may see and believe you. And they're admitting the fact that the sign was intended to provide the credentials. The sign was intended to provide the divine authenticity so that those observing the sign would be humbled and obedient and receive the messenger as coming from God. They admit that. They admit that in verse 30 when they say, what sign do you do so that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? They are confessing that that legitimate signs should humble them unto God's divine authority. And the, the problem with confessing that is that they're accountable. They've already seen signs. They saw the sign just last night with the multiplying of the loaves and the fish. So they don't need more signs. They need to be humble and obedient in response to the sign they've already get, been given. And they confess that themselves in verse 30. It's a big giveaway. And uh, it's, it's as, as big and huge as David saying uh, that man deserves to die, right? That's the kind of obvious conviction and they're convicting themselves when they say what sign do you do that we may see and believe they are convicting themselves because they've already received several signs 
Then under point four, Jesus delivered his great I am the bread of life message, and he's going to do so in phases. The first stage of the bread of life message comes in verses 35 through 40. The first stage comes through verses 35 through 40, and it's presented here as a universal offer of food for eternal life. The universal offer of food for eternal life is consistent with a grace through faith salvation offer. And this is uh, where we ran out of time, I remember, because we took the side trips into Proverbs 9 and to Isaiah 55, the, the invitation where you can buy without cost and uh, the privilege that we have to be able to offer that. So I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of study that can go into this. If we were doing this more on a verse by verse basis than a chapter by chapter basis, we would be breaking down these ideas on seeing, seeing and yet not believing. Why is it that they saw and yet did not believe? And there's uh, there's a lot that goes into that. Why does Satan blind the minds of the unbelieving in Second Corinthians four four? Uh, you don't blind you don't blind a blind man. Uh, obviously, uh, the adversary is concerned about what they might see. They might see the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ. All right, so that takes us down through verse forty. Obviously, there is more to it than that, but there is the aspect of the free offer and the coming to Christ and that, of course, it is the doctrine of eternal security in here that uh, those who do come to Christ are his forever, that no one can do so unless the Father has drawn them and that uh, the ones the Father gives are eternally secure. It is the will of him that sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Believing in Christ, the present possession is eternal life. The future promise is the resurrection. Eternal life we have now. Resurrection we're, we're still waiting for. All right, the reaction under B. The crowd that ate of the loaves and was filled, the C-A-L-F, are at this point unmasked as Jews by their grumbling. They are unmasked as Jews by their grumbling. Verses 41 and 42. Therefore, the Jews, capital J, Jews, were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? So they start grumbling at this point, and it's going to grow. They're going to go from grumbling to larger stages throughout the chapter here. Now, the vocabulary on Jews is not so startling for the vocabulary itself. I'll give you a Strong's number. I don't have it in the, in the outline, so we'll just find it manually here. In verse 41, the Udayoi, right there. You can get a Strong's number over here. Twenty four fifty three. The singular is Eudaios, the plural is Eudaioi. Now the idea of Jewish can refer to their race, can refer to their religion. And as it's used in the Gospels, especially, most especially the Gospel of John. And where are we now? The Gospel of John, John chapter six. That when he uses the term Eudaios, he's not wrapped up in their race. He's not wrapped up in their lineage and their parentage, who they were. Because really, pretty much everybody in this chapter is a Jew. Jesus is Jewish. His disciples are Jewish. 
Um, they've left the eastern shore where there were more Gentiles, and now on the western shore in the, in the uh, region over here, the Gennesaret region, where it's all predominantly Jewish uh, in Capernaum and elsewhere. A lot of these guys are Jewish. The idea when he says the Jews started grumbling, we realize the specific way in which John in his gospel utilizes Eudaios, that he's not referencing people that are Jewish by race, but those that were Jewish by their culture, by their practice, by their adherence to the religious system of the day. And in particular, we find that Jews are contrasted with Galileans. And so some Bible texts even go so far as to render it Judeans rather than Jews to draw a distinction between those that, that lived in the Judean highlands, the Jerusalem and the uh, regions around Jerusalem, that they were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, members of the Sanhedrin, those that were following the religious practice uh, in the temple of that day. Uh, so these would be uh, Jewish religious followers, Pharisee followers. Uh, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a ruler of the observant Jewish pract uh, practitioners. And so your vocabulary number 2453, in uh, cases like this, the, the vocabulary itself may not help because words are determined by their usage more so than their lexical meaning. And uh, the usage in the Gospel of John highlights the religious leaders at this point and their followers. So therefore, the Jews, that is, therefore, those that were caught up in the religious teaching of the Pharisees, we're grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. These are the guys that are wrapped up in systems of pride. These are the guys that are pursuing a form of righteousness. Paul said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And as to the righteousness that is found in the law, blameless. He was, Saul of Tarsus was the pinnacle of what a Pharisee could achieve. And he was an unbeliever on the road to hell. So, we want to understand that the, the, the followers of that religion have a form of godliness, though they've denied its power. They searched the scriptures. Some of them had memorized the scriptures, and yet they were rebuked by the Lord saying, if you paid attention to the scriptures, you'd believe in me because Moses spoke of me. And they had, they had been in the word, and yet not being regenerate, they had not comprehended the truth of God's word. So calling them by this name, I find to be remarkable because it shows a transition and it shows that they have placed themselves in this adversary position and he's addressing them accordingly. So therefore the Jews were grumbling about him. And so what does he then say? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. He's got an answer for them, and it's an answer with authority. And it's an answer that just nails them right to what they're doing. They're grumbling. And so the change of terminology, it's not a change of audience. It's a change of perspective with respect to the audience he has. See, and it's kind of common, it, particularly if, if you're not exactly sure where your audience is coming from. And so, uh, for instance, in my upcoming trip, I may speak in all kinds of different audiences and I may not know much about the particular audience that I'm standing in front of. And I may start teaching and then based upon their response, based upon the questions they're answering, based upon the confused and puzzled looks I'm getting, I may have to reevaluate the nature of my audience. And it's not that the audience changed, but the speaker's perspective of that audience just all of a sudden takes on a whole new dimension. See, if, you're, uh, if, you're, if you think you're talking to a Christian audience and you think you're talk, able to talk about the things of the word and then three or four of them raise their hands and say, who's this Jesus you're talking about? 
Well, okay, your audience didn't change, but your perspective of them just changed like that. All of a sudden, you transition off into a, an evangelism mode and say, oh, wait a minute, I need to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And that's the sense of what I believe we, we're trying to communicate here in verse 41. Not that his audience changed, because these are still the, the crowd that ate of the loaves and was filled, the chasers and so forth. Uh, the audience didn't change, but his perspective concerning them changed by virtue of their grumbling, by virtue of their now. Um, and I think they were weasels prior to this when they were insinuating that, that they were giving him suggestions for what miracles they could do, that he could do for them. Uh, but they've gone from weasels now to, to conflict. And the terminology when John authored this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses the term Jews there now to demonstrate the hostility. And so with that change of perspective, the nature of the message has an entirely different tone. But it's the same message. Every phase that he gives is the same message. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the salvation. All right, the, third st- the second stage then, under point C. Jesus delivered the second stage of the bread of life message, speaking of his flesh. Verses 43 through 51. All right, so now first stage... Again, first stage is verses 35 through 40. And I just want to, I haven't read it yet today. Let's read through it, the first stage together. And then we'll read through the second stage together. You tell me, is it a different message or is it the same message a second time? All right, so back up now to stage one. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. All right, that's stage one of the message. Now let's go to stage two. Verse 43, Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He, uh, your fathers, ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's the second stage of his bread of life message. Is it a different message from the first stage or is it the same message? The same message. The same exact message. The Father sent him to provide this bread. Uh, the, the issue is faith. The issue is believing in Christ. He changes some of the terms. I believe he goes to more difficult terms in response to their difficult conflict. They uh, were reacting to him coming down out of heaven. Who is this guy I think he is? We know who he is. We know where he was born. We know his parents. How does he claim to be from heaven? He's, he's a man like us. 
And when they say he's a man like us, what they're really saying is he's a man inferior to us because he doesn't have our uh, degrees. He didn't graduate from our school. So um, he was in the second stage is tougher than the first stage, but it's still the same message. He even brings in Old Testament scripture. Saying, hey, don't take my word for it. What do the prophets say? What does the Old Testament say? What was manna all about anyway? You suggested, you suggested that I provide manna like Moses provided manna in the wilderness. Well, what's the big deal about that? They all died, didn't they? I'm, I'm offering food where those who partake, those who eat, will never die. All right? So it's the same message. It's the same message. And, and obviously... Um, He'll be building on this again. It comes, uh, we get back to it with the resurrection and life message in John chapter 11, where he who uh, believes will never die. And even if he does die, he will raise again. And you have the two forms of death there. We're talking about physical death and spiritual death. If you eat of this spiritual food, you will never spiritually die. There's no such thing as spiritual death uh, for the believer. You are born again. You are provided spiritual life. And that life is eternal. That life cannot die. Even if your physical body dies, that spiritual life cannot die. That's why it is eternal life. And then, of course, the resurrection will happen on the last day. So it's the same message. It's the same message just given in a little bit tougher terms, uh, bringing, in a, uh, bringing in a scripture, and they shall all be taught of God. Interesting. Uh, there's a, there's a, you can view that in two senses, can't you? Because obviously when the Father draws, then that's a teaching ministry and He's uh, providing under common grace, He's providing for the unregenerate man to understand what otherwise they can't understand, uh, where things have to be spiritually appraised. So the, the drawing ministry of the Father is a teaching ministry by which they can see what Christ is all about and, and by which they can come to Christ as it's described in this text. And yet it's also a wonderful play on words, a wonderful sense that here they are trying to come to grips with his deity, not doing very well, saying he's from Nazareth. We know his parents. He's, he's human. And yet they shall be taught of God is he's quoting the scripture while what's happening. God's teaching them. God, the son is teaching them. The word has become flesh. Jesus Christ is teaching them. They shall be taught of God. And what's happening there? They're being taught of God. God is teaching them that God teaches them. How's that for something powerful? You know, it'd be like a pastor teacher teaching about pastor teachers teaching. Jesus Christ is quoting, they shall be taught of God. And what's happening? They're being taught of God. So there's, there's such dynamics at work there. But did, how do they respond to it? Well, <laughs> that last little line there, the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that sparks a explosion here in verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue. They go from grumbling to arguing. Remember, these cycles of mental attitude sin spiral downhill fast. And if you don't confess early, it builds and it gets deeper. So they go from grumbling to arguing. They begin arguing with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Very uh, argumentative question it's a question of denial it's a question of impossibility it's a, a question of mocking scorn in other words this man's a lunatic he doesn't know what he's talking about how can this man give us his flesh to eat 
How outrageous is that? What kind of a nut case are we listening to here? This question is not a hypothetical question. A hypothetical question is asked that, that expects no answer because the answer itself is obvious. This is a dismissive, scornful question that doesn't expect an answer because in their mind there is no answer. This guy is just out of his gourd. And so we see it under point D. The Jews turn from grumbling to arguing. They go from grumbling to arguing. Now I think here's a, here's a pattern for us. Do we ever encounter this? Do we ever encounter difficult people outside the church or inside the church? I mean, do you ever encounter difficulty? So what's the answer? Oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Let me back down. Let me rephrase that. Let me put that in a kinder way that you won't react to. Is that what Jesus did? See, they reacted to his message of coming down from the Father. And so he comes back with a message of his flesh. And they react even more. So does he back off or does he proceed to the next level? He proceeds to the next level and not only does he talk about his flesh, he starts talking about his flesh and his blood. He says, oh yeah, you've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. So he's not backing off. If anything, when the reaction sparks, he pushes it even further. And we want to recognize, wait a minute, because I think it's instructive. I think it's, it's remarkable and even a little bit cool. All right? Now just think about it, though. He's not carnal. He's not sinful. He's not wrong in what he's doing. So if we imitate this, if we emulate this, if we follow this as a pattern... How can we do that without ourselves getting carnal? Without ourselves, you know, we want to we find a sanctified way by which we can push it. Because I believe we need to push it. I don't believe we need to back off and, and compromise and reword things and try to play games. Try to, you know, th- this world is politically correct enough and I've had it up to here. With any of that, we want to be able to speak the truth of love. We're not going to back off. We're not going to compromise our vocabulary. And if it seems that our vocabulary is sparking some fires, how can we push it even more in a sanctified way? Not to be wrong about it, but to push it, to recognize that is a, is a, is a reactor factor. It's, a, it's, it's sparking conflict. So how can we stay true to the message and even push it more in the faithful way that that the Lord does here? All right, because he goes beyond. He says, uh, the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, clearly he's speaking in metaphor when he says, I am the bread, right? He's speaking in metaphor. And yet there has to be a reality to the metaphor. The metaphor of bread requires eating. So the reality of bread is Christ. The reality of eating has to be believing. If we're going to be consistent with a metaphor, all right? It's not about uh, it's not about cannibalism. It's not about anything else goofy. It's about finding the reality of the metaphor. 
The metaphor of his body, the metaphor of his flesh is him. The reality is him. The metaphor for eating, the reality is believing. And that keeps it consistent with what he'd said before. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You realize not only is the second stage identical with the first stage, the second stage and the first stage is identical to what he was teaching even before he started the bread of life message. The bread of life message was simply the metaphor to teach what he had been teaching them prior. Where he said, work for the food which endures to eternal life, not for the food which perishes, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father has sent his seal. What must we do? Uh, what must we do to work the works of God? Believe in him whom he has sent. So he's been given the same message this whole chapter. He gave the message. They reacted. They said, oh, do the miracle. Give us this food. And he says, you don't need the food. You're working for the wrong kind of food. Then he gives them the message. He said, I am the bread of life. Gives it to him in a parable, in a, in, a, in a metaphor. They react. He gives them stage two. It's the same message. Stage two is the same as stage one, which is the same as the message he was giving before he even went to the metaphor. Stage three is going to be the same. Jesus delivered the third stage of the bread of life message, speaking of his flesh and blood. They reacted to flesh. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so what does he do? He adds blood to the flesh. He builds on the metaphor. Again, the, the arguing in verse 52 and then his response in verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. That's an absolute statement. If you're without Christ, you're without eternal life. That's just as blunt as you can get. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, lest you think that this is dealing with, uh, uh, dealing with uh, cannibalism or something else kind of goofy, the, the language on this is identical to verse 40. It's identical to what he's already said. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So the metaphor for eating and drinking, all it is is a metaphor for faith. All it is is a picture that if you eat the bread, that means you're believing in Jesus Christ. You're applying faith to the promise that he who has the son has life. And it's, it's no different than when he told the woman at the well, you know, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But the water I provide, remember that in John chapter 4. And, and the metaphor was in, in drinking that we equated that with belief, same as we do here. So um, he who, uh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. That's the only way to have this life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How many times can you say this? <laughs> Um, for my and notice it's, it's, it's an and, it's not an or, it's not an either or. There's not two modes. It's the same mode, just with two, uh, two metaphors there. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. True not as opposed to false, but true the reality as opposed to a shadow. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I, ha and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live 
forever. Everybody that ever ate manna died. Everybody. Most of them died in the wilderness, but even Caleb and Joshua entered into the promised land. Uh, they still died. There is not a single manna eater in the history of the world that has not died. They've all died. Yeah, but the provision of manna ended with the entrance into the land and the conquest. So uh, that generation was the last generation to actually, the only gen, uh, the Exodus and wilderness generations were the only two generations to actually eat this, uh, what is it that the Father provided? Point F. At this point, even his disciples took the grumbling step on the way to anger, on the way to abandonment. Notice the steps. At this point, even his disciples took the grumbling step on the way to anger, on the way to abandonment. Verses 59 and 60. Now the Jews have already made all those steps. Now even the disciples are taking step one. And Jesus is going to stop it right there and say, wait a minute. You know where that goes. You see where they're going. Let's stop it right here. So again, point F, at this point, even his disciples took the grumbling step on the way to anger, on the way to abandonment. We read in verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And if you think that's not so harmful, you think, that's eh, kind of an innocuous, harmless question. Uh, Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled. Verse 61, all right? It's not an innocuous question. It's not a harmless question. All right. Everybody awake? All right, just checking. All right. Verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Remember, there's more than the 12. There's at least the 12 plus the two, probably the leading women, probably many more. Maybe even up to the 70, if you understand who the 70 are. And Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? So he's going to address them. He's got a private message for them. He's, he's not giving those guys, that crowd, the Jews, all they're getting is the gospel. Over and over and over again. Believe in Jesus Christ, have eternal life, and so forth. But he's going to stop these disciples and not allow them to take that same slide that the, uh, the Jews had taken. Does this cause you to stumble? And he's going to deliver this um, message here. And it's interesting what, what stage four is all about. Jesus delivered the fourth stage of his bread of life message, speaking of his betrayer. Speaking of his betrayer. Remember, we're a year away from the cross. A year away. He knew about it. He knew about it a year ahead of time. He knew about it three and a half years ahead of time. He knew about it from the very beginning. When he selected, when he went up on the uh, mountain and spent a whole night in prayer, praying over the twelve, appointing the twelve, he knew all about the betrayer. Probably, uh, <laughs> you know, eleven of them only took about an hour. And then number 12 took the rest of the night, right? And I'm guessing that first hour, Peter took about 45 minutes 
And then the other 10 were about 15 minutes. And then the rest of the night was all about Judas. I don't know. I'm, I'm just speculating, imagining. The fourth stage of the bread of life message. Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, what does, uh, does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. In other words, have the spiritual perspective with respect to the doctrine that I'm teaching you. But there are some of you who do not believe. Notice, some. Judas wasn't the only unbeliever in the crowd. He was the only unbeliever of the twelve. But beyond that, how many more were there? We don't know. He doesn't say there are many. He just says there are some. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, who they were, plural, who did not believe, and who it was, singular, who would betray him. So Judas is not the only unbeliever in the crowd. But he is the betrayer. And he was saying, for this reason, I have come to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him. Or no, I'm sorry, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. And I love that. I love the faithfulness of Jesus in just an evangelism capacity. Now, no one can come unless it's been granted from the Father. There is not a single human being that will place their faith in Christ and an eternal life apart from the will of God, apart from the sovereignty of God in electing and in calling and in drawing and in convicting and so forth. And yet, you and I have no clue who is elect and who's not, who will believe and who won't believe. And so who do we preach the gospel to? Every single body on the planet. That's right. Lottie Dottie, everybody. <laughs> Used to say that in the army. There were other phrases that went with it, but we'll ignore those for Wednesday morning. Everybody. And yet, he's going to be faithful in the message. He's going to be faithful to draw these distinctions. And he's going to be hammering them again and again and again. You need eternal life. You need eternal life. And I love that. The end result. Point H. The end result of four stages of the bread of life message. And so even stage four. Is stage four wildly different from stages one, two, and three? No. Nope. It may be a little more personal, a little more direct, targeting the disciples themselves, but it's still the same message. You've got to believe in Christ. The end result of four stages of the bread of life message was that grumbling led to arguments, led to abandonment, led to attack mode against him. Start in verse 66, and you'll take it on down through verse 72, chapter 7 and verse 1. Abandonment, or uh, grumbling, led to arguments, led to abandonment, led to attack mode against him. You know, it's interesting when people leave a church 
I mean, it's one thing to leave a church for the right reasons, but leaving a church for the wrong reasons and then going into attack mode against that church, against that pastor, against the people of that church. Or not only are you leaving a church, but you want to take as many with you as you can while you go. Ha, that'll really show them. Treat me that way. Okay? Or different things. There are websites totally dedicated to attacking different pastors. You know, websites attacking Pastor Theme, for example. Websites attacking other pastors. And you wonder, what what has caused you, who had previously been a student, previously been taught, uh, even if uh, you had reason for leaving or whatever, weren't you taught anything while you were there? What, What causes you to go to an attack mode? See, especially when there's such warnings out there about lifting your hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, if if if, if there's a, a pastor there that needs to be dealt with, uh, you know, Jesus Christ will deal with it. He is the head of the church and he's much better at it than any human being will ever be. And, and, and why is it our role to go into attack mode anyway? It's not our department. So as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. And we're not walking with him anymore. That's fine. (laughs) We're not a cult. You want to leave? Leave. It was an open door in grace when you walked in. It's an open door in grace when you walk out. If there's another teacher out there that's going to feed you and teach you and you're you're leaving in the will of God, there's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. Obviously, uh, attack mode is uh, the wrong way to do it. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Now think about it. Last night it was 5,000. Now he's asking the remnant of the twelve, they may be the last ones left. Are you leaving? So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Somebody was listening to four stages of bread of life message and understood that bread was a metaphor. The words communicated the truth. Belief in the promises is the provision for faith in Christ is the application of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. You could even render it. You are the word. If you want to think of him in that way. Anyway, where shall we go? Where shall we go? You know, if a believer is going to leave a local church that has solid teaching, then where are you going to go? You know, find another church with solid teaching. Find some place where you're going to be taught, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We're not boastful or prideful. We're not the only place in town that teaches the Bible. So, uh, you know, where are you going to go? We, we love you. We care about you. You've know, you, you got to stay fed. Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered, Then did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is Ha Diabolos. Actually, there's no Ha there. One of you is a devil, a slanderer. Let me double check that. I'm pretty sure there's no article in verse 70. One of you, Diabolos Esten. There is no the. One of you, a slanderer, is. 
And it doesn't matter which Greek text you're looking at. They're both identical. All right. He's a slanderer. He's an adversary. He is of the evil one. And he will be possessed by the evil one on the, uh, the night that he betrays him. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. One year from this point of time, one year out at the next Passover, we're, we are one year away from the cross. This is the Passover he didn't go to Jerusalem for. He went to the eastern side of Galilee. He fed the 5,000. This is Passover of 32 A.D., if you accept the chronology of a 33 A.D. crucifixion. All right? One year from this point of time... This slanderer, this diabolos, this devil, Judas, is going to be betraying him. And he's got a whole year calling him friend, a whole year teaching him the word, a whole year giving him the gospel. That is some amazing faith. Point five, we'll wrap up with this. The twelve and others stayed loyal, but in Judas' case, it was only to betray him. The twelve and others stayed loyal. Judas stayed loyal. It was a carnal loyal. It was a cosmos loyal. It was a human viewpoint loyalty. You know, there's a, there's a natural loyalty that the, the humanity can pursue. In some cases, they pursue it on almost an addictive basis. The twelve and others stay loyal, but in Judas's case, it was only to betray him. We have the twelve that are mentioned in verses 67 through 69. We know there were others because of Acts 1, verses 21 through 23. We know that uh, Judas called Barsabbas and Matthias um, in Acts chapter 1, that they were present throughout, we're told. They're not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but they were present throughout. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they had a pool of men that were eyewitnesses from the baptism in the River Jordan all the way to the ascension of the Mount of Olives. And uh, we know about the 12. We're going to learn about the 70 coming up. These men were not of the 12, but they were of the 70. They put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which of, the, of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship. Remember, these are the apostles of the Lamb. The church hasn't started yet. church doesn't start until the next chapter, in chapter 2. This is the Old Testament apostleship of the Lamb. To occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. He had an office of his own that was uh, from his father, the devil. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven. And from this point forward, they are referenced again as the twelve. The twelve, the twelve. That was a group. I know there are some that dispute it that don't put Matthias in there. But the Holy Spirit did when he wrote Acts chapter 1. So if I'm going to listen to your opinion or I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit's opinion, I think I'll listen to the Holy Spirit's opinion. He was added to the 11 and he was, and then from that point forward we have reference to the 12 for the rest of the book of Acts. 
So I don't have any issue with that. The twelve and others stayed loyal, but in Judah's case it was only to betray him. We want to be, be careful. And I think there's that pattern in John 2 where there was a whole lot of people that were flocking after him, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. You have to be able to have some discernment to see who's, who is loyal for doctrinal reasons in fellowship, pursuing the will of God and so forth, and who is loyal for carnal reasons uh, because they're excited about what they think is going on in terms of something wonderful with the ministry, but they're earthly minded, not heavenly minded. And the Lord was able to uh, have that kind of discernment, and I believe we need to as well. All right, we will return in three weeks. I'm nine minutes early, but we're at a great stopping point, and I'm not, I don't have a slideshow prepared to move on to episode 40, which is the traditions attacked. We will return to Matthew, back to chapter 15 then, and we'll deal with the traditions where the Pharisees were compromising doctrine in order to pursue their traditions, and Jesus was saying, what are you guys doing? You've got to be obedient to the will of God, not to your traditions. And, and it's a message that applies not only to the Jews of his day, but in our reading of church history, we can realize, you know, this is the, the, the fatal error in Roman Catholicism. This was the, the nightmare that they, the Pandora's box they opened up when they put church tradition alongside of the word of God as having authority. And then they put the papal pronouncements on par with that and the council judgments on par with that they've got a religion that looks nothing like ours because ours is biblical and theirs has put traditions up there uh as well as everything else so we'll uh we'll be able to study it and have a good time with it as, as far as the life of christ ministry is concerned but i think for those of you that are also in the church history class that are seeing all the traditions of the roman catholic church you're going to pick up on a lot of things too and it'll be a double blessing i think when uh when we go through it at that point. All right. Any questions before I pray? Anything confusing? Yes, ma'am. Who were the 70? They were a group of disciples that were also sent out on an evangelism capacity, not with the same authority and power that the 12 were sent out with, but they were a group of evangelists that Jesus Christ personally commissioned uh, to travel around <coughs> Galilee, Perea, Judea, the whole region there. And uh, so they are a larger group beyond the 12. The 12 are not included in the 70. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we will get to them in some upcoming classes. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to teach. And Father, we are asking for your faithfulness and protection as we travel and for the privilege of being a part of, of your ministry. Father, it's your ministry. Yours, and uh, we thank you for allowing us to be fellow workers. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.